We have to go back! Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And today we are taking a look at the 1975 movie, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes. Which I, I thought cuckoo was two words for some reason. Oh, like what babies say? <laughs> yes. Or pigeons? Um, I gotta say, Ricky, it is so good to be back because we we had to take a week off, um, which we didn't plan on, but we selected this movie because of New Mutants, and yes. just like the New Mutants, we are delayed. So <laughs> if you're listening to this being like, of all movies, why pick this one? Um, you know, that's why. That's yeah. why. But yeah. I'm glad we did because... You know, we've we've done a, a wide range of films on our coming up on six years. Wow. Uh, pretty soon here, yeah. Next month will be our sixth year doing the podcast. And we've done so many different types of films. But this this is the Oscar winning film, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes. So we're gonna we're gonna put on our highbrow pants. <laughs> One leg at a time. Yeah. <laughs> I put my highbrow pants on just like anyone else. You start at the foot and work up to just above the eye. Just right above. Right above. It's more really a forehead pant, but <laughs> they fit well. Yes. And so One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest uh, is based on the novel of the same name. Uh, the novel was written in 1962, uh, written by Ken Kessie, set in an organ psychiatric hospital. The narrative serves as a study of institutional processes in the human mind, as well as a critique of behaviorism and a tribute to individualistic principles read straight from Wikipedia like a boss. Yeah, and since this is an adaptation, I think we all have to ask ourselves, did the author like the adaptation? And say it with me, class, it's a resounding no. no. We've seen that a lot. Rarely to the, do. To the point to where he wouldn't even watch the full film. And he caught it on television. Ken Cassie caught it on television one time. Didn't realize what he was watching. Because uh, <laughs> in his mind, it was so different than what he wrote. Because it's from, it's from Chief's perspective in the book. And it's, it's more... Oh. Yeah. And so, like, that's really different. When he realized what he was watching, he changed the channel. Uh, wow. That's how much he did not like this movie. Um, but good news is, everyone else liked it. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was adapted to a Broadway play uh, in 1963, and uh, Kirk Douglas actually starred as McMurphy, and he loved it so much that he went on to produce the live-action version of it. Oh. Like this real, movie. Uh, Jeff Bridges situation with The Giver. Yes. You either die the hero <laughs> or live long enough to play The Giver. <laughs> oh. And he originally planned on himself being uh, the lead. But, I mean, he worked on this movie. So I he, almost a decade, he worked on trying to get this movie made. And by the time it was time for them to actually start filming, he was 10 years older. And so... Uh, it's like Jeff Bridges with The Giver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> and so uh, they... You know, they had some other people in mind 
Jack Nicholson, you know, auditions the way I know he does. Uh, he actually took a percentage of the profits in lieu of a small salary for a modestly budgeted film. And um, that paid off because Jack Nicholson knows that the real money is made in the residuals. And so ah. it, the movie went on to make so much money, but we're not there yet. Uh, so the movie, uh, when released, uh, was hugely successful. Uh, even before taking a look at the budget, this is one of the few movies, one of three, to sweep the big five major Academy Awards. Mm. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress, Best Actor, and Best Screenplay. Yeah. That, they that, are, that, that covers it. That's, yeah. And to be honest, I forget that there are more categories. Wow. So that's really like the last 45 minutes of the Oscars. They were just saying cuckoo's nest over and over again. Yep. Yeah. The only other movies to do that were it happened one night mm -hmm. uh, and Silence of the Lambs. I mean, and they did that with a budget of $3 million. Three. Three. Uh, it went on to make... Over $163 million worldwide. Wow. Wow. Well, that's a good investment. And, uh, you know, part of that is because they did shoot on location mm -hmm. in a psychiatric hospital yes. in Oregon. Um, and this was maybe one of my favorite pieces of trivia we've ever read uh, for any of the movies. But during the filming... Um, some of the crew members, they left some cables going out of the second story window and a patient climbed through the bars, fell to the ground, injured themselves. That's not my favorite part. That's not great. But what I love is that one of the, the journalists in Oregon reported the story uh, and the headline was one flew out of the cuckoo's nest. Come on. Yep. Yep. Take an early lunch. You know what? Take the day. <laughs> I will see you tomorrow. Rest that big brain of yours. Cracks Knuckles, I think we're done here. <laughs> oh, I have to write the article now? Um, yeah, so they a lot of the extras were patients. Um, they were actually patients. Um, the casting's really interesting, too, because Will Sampson, who played Chief, was a park ranger in Oregon. And the, you know, the demands on finding someone that big and strong and tall and all of that, like that's crucial to the story. And so um, there's a pretty limited casting pool for who could play that. And he's honestly, honestly, one of my favorite um, parts of this entire movie. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad it was Will Sampson. Um, the character though, that gets, you know, such notoriety and it's considered one of the greatest movie villains of all time. Um, is Nurse Ratchet, played by yes. Louise Fletcher. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, she's so disturbing and unfeeling that uh, she, she revealed it was frustrating to her that all of the other cast members were really able to, you know, bond and laugh together. And you get the tight-knit feel of, uh, of the other characters. Uh, and she was kind of on the outside, so she did whatever she could to really try to be like that it's not me that's that's the character and distance yeah. herself from the actual nurse ratchet because she does such an amazing job portraying this character mm -hmm. no and and speaking of, i mean the cast is just so 
It's like, you know, I I'm familiar with I know on a on a head level that actors were young once. <laughs> I I know that in my in my brain area, but seeing so many actors so young, I'm like, Danny DeVito I, I to my first thought when I saw Danny DeVito, I was like, that guy kind of looks like Danny DeVito. That was, <laughs> that was my first thought. Yeah, and this was before Taxis. So you got Danny DeVito and Christopher Lloyd working together well before you know, they would be on a sitcom. Yeah, and yeah. Scatman Crothers, who just can't get out of Jack Nicholson's destructive path. Uh, th- there's so many amazing... Uh, actors in here and just really giving their all on stage uh and i say on stage in the stage of the scene they and really gave it all on sound stage but it was shot on location so even the joke of that doesn't work man i am just not firing all cylinders but going back to the reception of this movie uh it was beloved everywhere nowhere more than in sweden oh did you hear about this no. So Swedish viewers love this movie so much that Cuckoo's Nest remained a regular option for Swedish moviegoers through 1987. That is 11 years after its initial release. Wow. Yeah. That's that's really interesting that it was, you know, in theaters for so long. What what I you kind of didn't realize, but you know, watching it back clued into was uh, Ricky. This happens pretty frequently whenever we watch movies that are so removed from their release date, we lose the context. Yes, under which we're watching them. Um, and this movie came out in 1975 um, because it was adapted. Um, you know, there's going to be a later time difference. I didn't realize that this took place took place in 1963. It's kind of like what happened oh. with Clue. It's not happening in the time period when it was released, but to us, we're like, yeah, way back when. <laughs> uh, there was a 12-year time difference between mm. when the movie takes place versus when audiences are viewing it. Got it. Yeah. So it'd be like if we were watching a movie that took place in 2008, We'd be like, oh, how distinctly 2008. <laughs> I can tell from the Green Day soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tuesday. <laughs> uh, one of the last little facts I wanted to add on to was the name of the film and the oh, novel. Yeah. Uh, so it's called One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest uh, because Chief Bronman's grandmother sang a version of this nursery rhyme to him when he was a child. Uh, and it's a fact that revealed in the story when the chief received yet another ECT treatment after he assisted McMurphy with defending George, uh, a patient that was being abused by the ward's aides, and this is largely in the novel, but here's the nursery rhyme. Victory, mintry, cuttery corn, apple seed, and apple thorn, wire, briar, limber, lock, three geese, and a flock. One flew east, one flew west, and one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Really makes you think. It it does. You know, it makes you think like what were what were some of those words? Right, right. Like what what is limberlock? Well, I had that in high school. Oh, yeah. You do not want that 
Mm, mm, mm. Killed my football career. <laughs> that and my chronic scrawniness. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I thought that it was, uh, I, I just originally thought it was going to be more metaphorical. It's like, ah, oh, it's a nursery rhyme. Like, oh, huh. oh, okay. Interesting, interesting. Sometimes you name movies because it sounds cool. Yeah, but this does have that title where you're like, oh, you didn't change it from the novel. Mm-hmm. You know, like Blade Runner. Right. It's like, do robots dream of electric sheep? Um, they were never going to call it that for a movie. Yeah. Because by the time you get through the title, you've already read half the book. Mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. I feel like if this were renamed, it would be The Nest or something. And it would be on Netflix Probably, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> yeah. So this was surprisingly my first time actually watching this movie from oh, beginning yeah? to end. Yeah. I I never stumbled across it on television like the author of the book. Uh, and I, I think that I've been aware of it. I've been aware of the cover. I think uh, I've been aware of it more theatrically than cinematically. Uh, just because I, I know that the play has existed. I knew that it was adapted from the play. Uh, now I'm glad I've finally seen it uh, because I feel like it's one of those movies where even if you have never seen it, some moments in the movie have been uh, referenced. Largely, I'm thinking of like um, several seasons of like Orange is the New Black kind of address uh, or pl- play homage to certain motifs too many highbrow words Uh, tighten up your highbrow pants uh different themes that this movie covered and i'm sure was like one of the uh linchpin uh visualizations of this medium uh it also made me think a lot about terminator 2 Oh uh, yeah, just, yeah. Just largely the the scenery, but it's it was also interesting to see what the tone of the movie was because I really thought it was gonna be like a shining like movie, like a like a straight up horror movie. Uh, oh. Where 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 granted it wasn't not that, <laughs> uh, but it, I I wasn't expecting a drama. I was expecting more of like horror and more ominous thriller and yes yeah Yeah, because because of everything that i have heard about nurse ratchet like right yeah i I was familiar with nurse ratchet i'm just like oh yeah she's she's rough and so i i I think i was waiting for her to like go more unhinged um just because of what i the reputation of her character from the movie has been but i still really enjoyed seeing it because it's like oh this they really did just turn a stage play into a movie and it felt like it because like towards like right after the the big party i was like oh yeah we're uh we're gonna see the other side of this aren't we and it's not gonna be good and it wasn't it's like oh yeah no this yep this is it Peaks and valleys. Peaks, Peaks and, and valleys. But this was not your first time watching it. No, I had seen this movie maybe a couple times before. Um, my dad referred to it a lot when I was growing up. 
Um, like he would refer to nurse ratchet and things like that. Um, and so I've always been aware of it. What I remember about before I saw this movie was that I distinctly remember thinking of this movie as this. If, when I see this movie, it will be one of the signs that I am now an adult, (laughs) like (laughs) that this was a movie for mature minds. Um, and that's when I bought my first pair of highbrow pants. Oh yeah. I I was destined to grow into them. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I, there wasn't a lot in this movie that surprised me just because I have watched it frequently. Um, but I am still impressed every single time by the acting and mm-hmm. the the flow of the story. So um, yeah, I, I I it's a long movie, so I really enjoy just like settling into the world again. Um, and yeah, seeing the actors, seeing this group of actors this young is that's bizarre to me every time too. Cause they're also actors that are kind of known for being older anyway, or at least mm-hmm. older looking. Um, so yeah, it, it, it feels like someone else is playing younger versions of Danny DeVito and, and Christopher Lloyd. And yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. So no, I, I really enjoyed rewatching it. I'm glad we did it. And ultimately the really, I think the only thing that I pulled out of this that I didn't really get before was the different time period mm-hmm. um because they're in the 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 hospital so long um they you don't really get exposure to the outside world other than some of the world series stuff in the fishing scene so even if it was present day it would be difficult to tell um so i yeah that that was mostly what i fixated on uh with this rewatching and something else that I really could appreciate about this film is the film's ability to kind of just really take you on a journey. Because I also thought that this movie had more of a definitive statement about things and life, uh, just largely because of its reputation. But this movie just kind of goes and you're just there. And you're with these characters and you're just seeing who they are, how they're interacting with each other, what really bothers them. And you you get a very stated history uh, with these characters, even though you're with them very, very shortly. Uh, sorry, briefly, I believe is the term. Mm, uh, briefly, wear the briefly's under the mm-hmm. highbrow pants. Oh, yes. You don't wear your highbrow pants without some briefly's um, chafe. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I really, really enjoy this movie. And uh, I, I'm, I'm glad I finally was able to watch it. All right. No jokes, no witty transitions. I just really appreciated it. And it was good. Be- just due to the tone, I don't, it doesn't feel right to make jokes like, speaking of flying over the cuckoo's nest, headcanon. Yeah, even me saying it, yeah. me even me saying it feels in poor taste. You I just even w- saying that you're not going to say it. Yes. That's about as close as I think we Th- can get. That's as close. I'm just letting you know, I think there's a time and place. So this is going to be a straightforward description of what we're about to do next. Hey, Ken, is the part of the show where we share a few unique ideas about the movie and untold stories based on evidence provided by the film. Uh, so, Grayson, here's the thing. There is one moment in this movie where I I stopped and I said out loud to myself, no one else, 
I think Grayson and I are about to have identical headcanon. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. So I'm just going to let you go, and then I will let you know if we, if it, in fact, did happen. That is very kind of you. All I can say is welcome to Arkham Asylum. Welcome to Arkham. He's the Joker. He is the Joker. Why is he carrying around the cards the entire time? Um, he, he's got the, the playing cards, which is a major thing throughout the whole, the very first thing too, he does when he gets there is does that creepy over the top laugh. And, uh, yeah, he's got the laughing, he's got the cards and it's also not lost on me that he's in there with penguin. Come on. Come on. Which can only mean one thing that this was a secret origin story. Not for the Joker, not for the Penguin, but Nurse Ratchet will go on to become Harley Quinn. That's my headcanon. Wow. We did have the same headcanon, that this is Arkham, but the only difference, this is Arkham in the Joker universe. Mm, in the Joaquin Phoenix universe? Yes, the Joaquin, okay. yes. I just think it fits. If you would have just zoomed out of the place and it just said Arkham... That's all you really need to just establish that it exists in that Batman universe. So, yes, same Z on the headcanon. But there's this moment where I was like, can this go that way? Because after um, his first shock treatment, I was like, huh. So this happened before he met Scatman. Uh, Scrubber's character, but I was like, Oh, yeah, huh? Because, like, could this be could the shining be a fragment of his imagination, or could this be uh, his character before the shining? And you know, I had this headcanon before I watched the whole movie, so that got thrown out the window, um, like a fountain. And so uh, my headcanon maintains that, you know, Arkham. But I just wanted to share what... Yeah, no, that's interesting. Yeah, I tried to make a Shining thing work, too, because of Scatman Crothers. But, I mean, it could be that that's what he experiences in the final electroshock treatment. Like, the Shining is everything between. Because even though there's different directors, this one was directed by Milos Forman and The Shining, uh, Stanley Kubrick you have similarities in the structure and even the the shots themselves. Like the interview across the desk is Mm -hmm. very much like when he gets the job in The Shining. And uh, there was just so many things where it's like, oh man, one location for the most part, you know, obviously Jack Nicholson being here, but it's, it could be that kind of thing because spoiler alert for Cuckoo's Nest and Shining these characters basically end up in the same state mm-hmm. at the end of it. And so the the frozen aspect of you know, Jack in Shining reflects the comatose version of McMurphy uh, in this movie. And, you know, it could be like a mental thing. And the, the metaphor of the, the, the garden maze at the end of Shining, all that kind of stuff uh, has that mental aspect to it. Um, but yeah, I think that's definitely worth exploring. I did have, if you'll indulge me, Ricky, I did have one more headcanon that I 
and very excited about, and I still, I'm not convinced that it works, but... That hasn't stopped us before. <laughs> that's never stopped us. Uh, and I think it's worth mentioning, this takes place in a world, because it's 1963, right? Actually, I shouldn't have brought that up. Forget about the time, because it okay. screws up my head canon. Anyway, mm. this takes place in a world where Marty's parents never got together. So Marty went oh. back, didn't reunite his parents, faded into nothingness, and we're seeing an alternative uh, timeline, which we've seen in Back to the Future, where they have the alternate 1985 mm. that newspapers said Doc Brown committed. Um, and I think not being successful in the first movie has just moved up all of those events. Whoa. And so Doc Brown has been committed uh, to this institution because um, I think he was one of the the characters that they said had to be there. I might be wrong about that, but that's a twist in this movie um, is that there are people there that are there voluntarily. Uh, I'm not sure if he's one of them actually, but still that he would be there and uh, yeah, he, he lost his family's fortune as a Von Braun and um, yeah, he was committed to this hospital. Wow. That's, that's solid. I really like that. All right, now we're going to go to the part of the show where we like to talk about recast and remakes. Recast for a remake. If this movie were to be made today, who would you cast? What would the storyline be? I I mean, this, this is really an all-star cast, and I'm actually going to do something that I haven't done mm. in a very long time, or maybe ever. Uh, but I am going to recast, remake this movie, but with current actors and their younger selves basically okay so for example i would love to see uh robert de niro uh as mcmurphy and see a younger him like basically you know taxi driver era uh real analyze those (laughs) yes as well as uh a younger morgan freeman uh Mm. i think that he'd be really interesting uh to see in that role and Michael Caine. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Michael Caine and just just um, a couple of actors who I just think like I because I just love seeing so, so many of these actors uh, so young that I think that these these actors seeing them in their in their youth would be really interesting and they would add so much to the, the character as well. And so, oh, I even take that back. I think a thing to do would would be to take the original cast and do what they've been doing with like grease or hairspray and just do a live stage production of it. But with um, any living actors or reprising their role. So I would love to see just like Jack Nicholson do one, uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, like live or yeah. just they'll do zoom calls. Um, yeah. One zoom over the cuckoo's nest one, <laughs> one night only. Gosh. Now here's what they do. Um everyone takes their places and does their blocking and the camera stays stationary, but then they just like crop everyone in. Oh. oh. And the editor is paid um every million of of dollar to 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 do all that. You get one of the 3 millions that we have to make this. <laughs> and they that 
more than anything, I would love to see them remake this movie on the same budget. That would be amazing. That that would be pretty impressive. Um, yeah, for sure. For my uh, my recast and remake, I only did the recasting for McMurphy because it's a pretty expansive cast. But for some reason, I would I would really love to see Sebastian Stan wow. take on that role. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a while since I saw him as anything other than the Winter Soldier. And, you know, it's going to be a while, I think, uh, mm-hmm. with Falcon and Winter Soldier coming out. Um, but, yeah, I'd like to see Sebastian Stan in, a, like, a true true drama of recent making. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe he's making them, and I just don't know. That that could be very possible, too. But for this, I was, I was big on Sebastian Stan. Um, and for my you know, remake aspect of it. I'm going to waive my time to dedicate it to uh, a PSA, really. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, you know, they're doing it. They're making it. If you haven't heard yet, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is coming back as a Netflix series called Ratchet. And it's the origin story of Nurse Ratchet, played by Sarah Paulson, from the creators of American Horror Story. Um, so I'd like to think of it as we're not late for the New Mutants; we are early for <laughs> Ratchet because it comes out in September 18th. Wow. September 18th, Ricky. Look at us. We're either one week late or one week early. Um, either way, we're not on time. Um, but this, uh, is something I'm very excited about. I think stylistically it plays more into that thriller aspect that you were looking for. And it really brings that out so that I think my guess would be, cause right now I think they're signed on for 18 episodes. My guess would be, uh, that by the time we get to the end of it, it's going to be kind of like that better call Saul aspect where like you're connecting the ends. Um, but her character, you know, there's so much to explore. We really don't spend that much time with her in the movie. So I'm glad that they're going to, you know, dedicate, um, you know, a, a narrative arc to this character. And I, I mean, no one better than Sarah Paulson to play this. I am so excited because Louise Fletcher delivered such an iconic performance um, I think it takes someone of Sarah Paulson's caliber to really you know, not let everyone down. Like what, what a difficult thing. It'd be like becoming the new Vader to some, to some degree. Like when you look at yeah. film villains, like how are you going to portray them? Um, that's right. They tried that. So <laughs> we'll see. We'll yeah. really see. Um, yeah. But you know, there was an interesting, uh, it makes sense that the, the American Horror Story team is bringing this to light because it's very much like season two of AHS where you know they were in the institution and all that. Um, I'm glad we're going back there. Um, but there's a quote in the trailer, if you haven't seen it, um, and I, I didn't write it down exactly, but the idea of it is you know, oh, in war because it takes place right after she, you know, she she's, uh, gets out of the service. She was a nurse for the army and all that. She said in war, you know, someone who saves, you know, one life is called a hero. Someone who saves a hundred lives is called a nurse. And, Mm. uh, I screwed that up. A soldier that saves, let's see here. Let's figure this out. (laughs) A soldier that saves one life is called a hero. You save a hundred lives. You're called a superhero. 
Harley Quinn. <laughs> I, I lost it. Watch the show. She'll say it in the show and you'll hear it the right way. Ratchet is coming. Wow. Yeah, I completely forgot that this is a thing. And it's been way under the radar. Yeah. I mean, if we were going to movies, we probably would have seen it as part of the pre-show role of like, we took you behind the scenes of the upcoming <laughs> Ratchet. Yeah. Um, but no, their marketing campaign is very similar to the character of Ratchet, that she is understated but deadly. Yeah. I was going to say silent but deadly, but then I realized that's meant for something else. Hmm. And then I strapped up my highbrow <laughs> pants and didn't make the joke. But by not making the joke, am I kind of making the joke? I think so. It doesn't need an adjustment, Grayson. It just needs a ratchet. <laughs> and that's lunch. Uh, okay, now we're going to go to the final segment of our show where we like to give you our reasons to recommend. So, Grayson, why would you recommend the 1975 movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? I recommend One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest um, for the cast. The cast delivers very, uh, you know, it, it's hard in an ensemble to to get the casting right a lot of the times because, you know, one kind of off casting decision um, can really affect the entire group. Um, but all of them work so well together. I, I got the feeling, it makes sense that this was a stage play too um, because it has that kind of intense bond among the performers um, I, I was getting uh, similar vibes to another stage play turned you know, movie uh, with, I believe uh, Nathan Lane was in the movie, but The Boys Next Door, um, which deals with similar subject matter, some crossovers to a certain degree. Um, but that kind of exploration of you know, mental health and, and what does it mean to be well-adjusted and how do you overcome the struggles in your life to, to really make life something worth living for you. And, you know, there's a weird sense of justice in this movie as well, um, where those that are kind of, you know, dealt a bad hand, no pun intended, just the first thing that came to mind, um, are kind of freed from a lot of how they have always been told things have to be. And when we end this movie, you know, they it may seem like their life is a basically the same but the truth is you know you have you have one breakout um you also have others that are able to communicate with each other and understand each other but the catalyst for all this being mick murphy kind of gets his own comeuppance in the sense that he was there to game the system and it ended up being his downfall and so he you know accidentally serves as this sacrificial lamb for everybody else uh, to have a better life. And I, I just love the complicated dynamic of all of that. And I think it demands a lot from the audience. It's a longer movie um, that, you know, isn't really built on the, 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 it's not a thriller. It's a, it's a pure drama. And, um, but it's an unflinching drama. They, they really don't let you look away from this, uh, this intense situation that all the characters find themselves in. Um, you feel that passage of time along with McMurphy and you feel uh, the, the, the highs when everyone, you know, kind of wins one against nurse ratchet and you feel the incredible lows when the situation turns on them in a, for some, a deadly way. And so I, I just love the dynamics of this movie for the performance, for the, the, 
the long form storytelling aspect of it, you know, at two hours and 13 minutes and you, it's difficult to maintain the flow, but, uh, the, the, you know, character development that's done here, the, the, the incremental, it's almost like episodes, really. It, it has that feel to it where you get to the end and you feel like you watched a miniseries. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I know it, it's got such a, for me with chief being, one of my favorite characters in the whole thing. I think that's why I feel the celebratory nature of what this is. And it makes me want to read the book, to be honest, even though the author did not agree with the interpretation of it, the fact that, you know, we could re-experience this story through the perspective of chief is exciting. So um, yeah, if you have not seen one flew over the cuckoo's nest, we've kind of talked about some of the ending elements in no certain terms, but that's still okay knowing how it ends because this movie, more than a lot of movies, truly about the journey of it all. So that's why I recommend One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest for me was such a, a surprising movie. Uh, it has a reputation that precedes it, definitely. Uh, and if you grew up as like a theater then film kid you've definitely been aware of it. And so after finally watching it, it's so interesting to see what so many people got from the movie because the movie itself is so different than what you might be expecting if you've never seen it. Um, it, It's just a movie that unfolds and it really just kind of knocks you off kilter because it's not your traditional movie. Um, It's not the kind of movie where you're like, oh, well, this movie's about this one character who does all the wrong things. Like, you're just, you're really experiencing the world that this character is thrown into. And you really feel it. It's like, okay, well, because they'll tell you about passage of time that just really throws you off. Like, wait, what? Yeah, you know, it's been four weeks. I'm like, wait, what? It's been four weeks? Uh, and they they aren't very uh, heavy-handed about any kind of messaging in the movie. It's all so character-driven that it just keeps you on your feet the whole time. Uh, so when you're watching the movie, uh, just stay at the edge because that's all you'll need. Um, <laughs> I just need this much <laughs> of the seat. Uh, and it's uh, it's really solid. A really solid look at character development and seeing what it takes to um fully embody a character because like there are times where i'm like oh yeah that's danny devito and part of it is just because he was so young but the other part of it was that he was so in his character that Mm -hmm. i just was like oh i'm watching a completely different human being like he might be related to danny devito but this person is this character that danny devito is playing like bar none and so uh that's why i recommend one flew over cuckoo's nest um it's it's a it's a drama but it is one that is worth looking at and uh just seeing all of the nuance and how compelling of a story you can tell uh based off of a book that the author hates yeah no, the, the author doesn't hate the book he hates the movie but it's still oh. no, good. he loved what he did <laughs> No, it looks good on me. 
yeah. uh, said the author. Yeah, I was trying to see if Danny DeVito was credited as Daniel DeVito for this, because it's that kind of movie. Was that long ago? Wow. Yeah. He was not. He was Danny DeVito. And always will be. And that is our review of the 1975 movie, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Let us know what you remember about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Such a tongue twister. Uh, on our social media platforms, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, we are at Flashback Flicks. And it would mean so much to us if you could leave us a rating and review on your podcasting platform of choice on a scale of one to five uh, dimes, if you mm. will. Dimes, one to five yeah. dimes. Can't have half a dime. Can't have half a dime. That's nothing. That's nothing. No, that's not two nickels. It's nothing. It is nothing. And that is what the TV version, I assume, the writer of the book was watching. It's just like, well, I never say anything about dimes. This obviously <laughs> has to be a completely different movie. I don't remember this episode of Taxi. Taxi got dark. <laughs> Wait a minute. This is my book. Wait a second. I haven't seen Kaufman once. And be sure to tune in next time right here on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. Until then, remember to be kind and rewind. Next time on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. With movie theaters beginning to reopen, we are celebrating movies and movies about making movies. With the 1999 Eddie Murphy and Steve Martin comedy, Bowfinger. Movies about movies is almost as brain-bending as Inception, which I didn't get. I didn't get Inception. It's so weird. Let's talk about that ending of Tenant. <laughs>